Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Podcasting. Podcasting from Sydney, Australia. This is the Prime Podcast. Independent, unfiltered, and uncensored. Beginning in three, two, one. Corey what? How are you, buddy? G'day, Chris. I'm well, thank you, mate. And yourself? Good, man. It's, uh, man, it's good to finally have you on here. We've had a, uh, well, not you, I've had disruptions with the MBN and all the rest of the thing going on, the floods and God knows what. So, uh, mate, it's good to finally do it and to, to catch up. And so you're in WA, yes? Yes, mate. Yeah, Pyongyang of the South. Uh, <laughs> the border finally come down. We were living like uh, Alcatraz there for a while. It was a bit of an open-air prison, but... Uh, the member for Beijing has opened the borders. <laughs> He's over in Sydney at the moment, uh, blaming all his problems on Clive Palmer. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting, mate. Things are sort of a little bit behind, I guess, the rest of the country here, notwithstanding that we had it good and better for the rest of the country for a while over the last two years. So is he is he back now or is he still in Sydney? Uh, I'm not sure. I think he, I mean, he was there yesterday giving evidence. I could be mistaken. The last couple of days have been a bit of a blur for me, not because I've been on a bender or anything, but just because, you know, I had uh, my debut on the national broadcaster. Uh, but, yeah, look, Marky Mark, he's, um, his popularity, popularity sorry, has plummeted. Um, he was state daddy there for a while. The worshipping of him and the sexualization of him was quite disgusting, I thought. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of revolting, isn't it? The man is defined by his conflicts of interest and his ties to the top end of town and he'll do anything for the mining industry or Crown Casino or Beijing, it would seem. <laughs> That's right. You know, I seen the other day, I was in front of a paper, <clears throat> him, he's got to, he plans on returning to WA in a fucking hazmat suit, full PPE. I mean, the, the, the theatre of it is just absurd and ridiculous uh, and it's only saving grace is that it's funny. Yeah, that's the only thing. To us, it's funny. Other people will be sitting I mean, there thinking, oh, that's really honest. responsible of him. Clive Palmer's just contracted COVID recently and it didn't kill Clive. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty confident I can survive this because uh, I recall the rhetoric that uh, Anastasia Palace Shameless, the Queensland Premier, engaged in last year where she said, and I quote, the virus hunts the unvaccinated and yes. here i am sitting here and mark mcgowan said you know it finds the unvaccinated even if you're in the middle of the desert the virus will find you uh presumably that's how the police found cleo smith but uh we can't <laughs> speculate too much on that but the, the language of and the politics of fear uh i think has been something that's utterly disgraceful and that future generations will look back on with scorn it is, and I feel was gone. Let's be honest. Yeah, mate, you blokes have, have got it very tough over there at the moment, and it seems like you know what it's like. It's almost like watching him, especially when I seen that article in the paper of him that he's in a rock. He's gonna go back to WA in the full fucking hazmat gear, like he's been working over in Chernobyl. I'm looking at, him, I'm thinking, it's almost like you know those practical jokes you play on people, but it's finished. Like they they, they caught on to it, and you have that one yeah. fuckwit who's still acting like he like he's in on it. It's like someone needs to tell him that, listen, it's up. Like, we know. April Fool's Day was over two years ago, mate. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, mate, he's, he's kept it going. And yeah. I don't right. know why. Is, is he just, mate, look, is he just a pussy? That's another possibility. 
No, well, look, this is the hill that he has chosen to die on. Uh, he attached his whole identity to this COVID security, COVID zero, the equivalent of tough on crime. They were going to be making Western Australia this uh, COVID-free fortress, and that was how Mark McGowan was styling himself and advertising the state to other parts of the world, particularly Southeast Asia. Um, so, look, I think Mark McGowan's tied himself in knots and watching them try and undo the ideological gymnastics and pretend like they said things or pretend they didn't say things which they did, which were quite inflammatory and needlessly divisive. Uh, and there's so many parallels with the Trump era and the Hillary Clinton's deplorables comment. And I met so many people who were long-time, lifelong Labor voters who were so angered that their legitimate questions had been dismissed and ridiculed. I mean, the Premier called people who had any question about the mandates as brain-dead morons. Uh, it's not the way to persuade people. It's alienated people. And the ignoring of the grey area of this debate uh, has been detrimental to the social capital and the social fabric. It's presented it as purely black and white and the grey area has been ignored to great detriment, I think. Uh, and the way that the West Australian has suddenly changed their editorial position for the last two years, they've been running a protection racket for Mark McGowan because he wasn't interfering with any of the mining company's interests or Crown Casino's shabby behaviour. Uh, but they've turned on him. And the reason they've turned on him is it's because it's leading up to a federal election. And Kerry Stokes, who is the owner of the West Australian and Channel 7, it's very clear that they want another Scott Morrison government elected. And mm. I think people who are on that train of thought are utterly insane uh, and not thinking about the national interest at all. No, but, uh, you know, who do you vote for? That's the problem. Because I can tell you well, now that look at Albanese. Albanese, to me, um, he's fucking, he's odd. He's an odd man. Just something about him isn't right, doesn't sit right. Um, and if you look at the worst states that have put throughout this pandemic, they're Labor states. You have Victoria, over there, WA, Queensland, Northern Territory, they're all Labor. I was discussing yesterday, uh, the leaders who've done the most to damage the progressive brand of politics around the world is Justin Trudeau in Canada, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, Dan Andrews in Victoria and Mark McGowan in Western Australia. And what all of those places have in common is that they're utterly compromised by the Chinese, or at least their political and business classes. And this ties into something that Majid Nawaz was saying last week about, you know, elite capture and the way that you know, the Chinese intelligence have basically fed these talking points and convinced the governments like Mark McGowan's to adopt these really harsh measures like mandates and lockdowns and masks, et cetera. It's approving of the authoritarian approach to, to governance. And this is what my other chief grievance is, is the use of this word mandate. Mm. Mandate connotes or implies consent and choice. It's the language of democracy, but this is a unilateral decision by a state government that fundamentally alters the relationship between citizen and state. And mm. we don't even get so much as a vote on it, let alone an honest discussion. Uh, and I think that's ridiculous. I mean, remember we went to the polls to have a plebiscite to decide whether or not gays had the right to get married? Mm, that's right. And that was construed as a human right. 
Well, where is the human rights uh, argument in this debate from the mainstream in the country? And you've just seen that the New Zealand High Court has struck down the lawfulness of the mandates under their Charter of Rights, which we don't have. Uh, so, look, the narrative is crumbling and I think it's very funny to watch people dig their heels in. Pride is the enemy of reason and I think uh, people who are too proud to admit that they're wrong or they're being conned are the actual proud boys. Yeah, man, absolutely. I've seen that myself, you know, in the past six months, the way that, as you can imagine, I get my fair share of messages telling me to fuck off and the hope I get Does COVID Abby and Chatfield die. send you any nice ones? Pardon? Does Abby Chatfield send you any nice ones? No, she hasn't. Surprisingly, she hasn't. I haven't heard nothing from her, except she, oh, she said things on a story about me before, but nothing to me directly. Um, thank God I'd have to, I'd have to fucking... Um, yeah, I don't want um, her in any of my inboxes. My boxes, inboxes, stay far away from that. I'm, um, yeah, whip out the, the old oh, Glenn Fleming and spray. Have of knowledge and reason, mate. I'm, I'd, I'd have to disinfect my phone and get the Glenn Twenty out, and mate, I, no, I'm right. But it's it's fucking. But that's you know what? That's a point I was gonna make as well. Is that you have not just her. There's many like her. That she's just an example of because at the moment she's the the queen bee right of that conversation. So. Um, she's got a target on her back due to that. But in terms of her success, um, I don't give, couldn't give a slightest fuck about her success. It doesn't bother me. Terrific. What I don't like is the way in which how the messaging, the, the, what she says. Um, it's for me, man, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a conservative, but I also understand that there's limits. And, you know, when you have a platform like TikTok, right, which is primarily you know, younger age group, a lot of teenagers are on it and, you know, young, impressionable people. And you've got her on there talking about eating assholes and why would she be worried about her own pussy juice, right? That's that's a, a video she made. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm looking at it thinking, what in the fuck is wrong with her? What, what Something's not right, right? And this is what the funny thing about TikTok is, is that in China, the TikTok algorithm rewards kids who are doing videos about science and stuff that's based around engineering and mathematics in the West, the algorithm rewards this vapid, stupid, sexually centered behavior online. And it's a way of dumbing down your competitor. Uh, so congratulations, Abby. You're, uh, you know, all the Chinese government could want and less. Oh man. You know, it's, 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 when I, what I, it's not just I said it's not just her. There's many like her, but I'll go through and you know I'll come across a few videos on there, and there'll be someone just uh, you know a woman. Haven't seen any blokes doing it yet, but women on there. They're just like they've got some song in the background, and they're staying away from the camera. They're looking at the camera and they're shaking their ass to it, and they're doing this and doing that, and their tits out. And I'm looking at, I'm thinking, and I look over at the the followers is like fucking a million. I'm thinking, what exactly do you do? Like, what is it? Like, are you an actress? Are you a singer? Like, what is it? Like, how have you got a million followers from, like, from what I can see from doing nothing? Like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand how you can want to follow somebody who I just shakes their eyes. Chris, I mean, this is largely men who fall for the following any woman online because she's attractive. Uh, and there are women who do it too, but this is men rewarding that sort of behavior. But on is, the other is, hand, is there, that, is there that many blokes out there that would, yeah, look, I mean, I, I, 
have two opinions on men, one good and one not so good. But um, I certainly think that phenomenon is fueled by men in that men rewarding uh, that behaviour with their attention online. Well, we see that with OnlyFans, right? All these girls and nothing wrong with it again. Good on them, making their money, doing their thing, no problem. But can you imagine if you or I made OnlyFans? <laughs> sitting there, a dick swinging around in pork swords, and can you imagine? I can promise you, I, I wouldn't even get ten subscribers. No one wants to see that shit. Well, my, my wife a, barely wants to see it. Just let alone pay for it. There's a disgraced former uh, comedian who's just taken to OnlyFans porn, uh, and I've been That's watching right. footage of people dying in Ukraine on Telegram, and that was the worst thing I've seen in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh. Uh, That'd be fun. I, I, hey, at least they've got a platform to say and do what they want in these perilous and censorious times. I'm all for people being able to uh, broadcast what they want so long as it's not hateful and bigoted and inciting nastiness and violence. Yeah. You know, yesterday, I, and there's a difference between, and that's there's a line that needs to be drawn, right? And I'm sure you'll be uh, well aware of what I'm speaking about. So, okay, so you, you do joke trust, you all think you perform jokes, right? You don't. You probably don't mean them. Maybe some you do, but I'm sure the majority of you don't really mean you're saying it because it's funny um, and that's part of the art. When I see something, I'll give my opinion on it. Like the, the Florida bill that I shared yesterday on my story about how they've brought a new a bill, or gone through, it's better be uh, turned into law over there. It's called Don't Say Gay. That's the name of the bill. Don't say gay, right? This is in Florida. And what it is, it sounds bad when you just say it, don't say gay. But what it is, it prevents the education system from talking to children about sexuality and gender uh, from kindergarten to grade three. So what's that? We're talking four-year-olds to seven or eight-year-olds, right? Which I'm completely fine and I support that because I don't think any child of that age should be educated on those issues they're trying to that's the last thing i need to worry about right at that age um, I, I agree. and but that doesn't mean i hate gay people but that's what that's all i said was i support this no child that age needs to know about this um and not only that it's my job as a parent I'm a parent and it's my job to talk to my children about that not the teachers it's my job mm. um you shouldn't cross that line but when you say that in a comment like i did yesterday i learned very quickly you can't just have an opinion about anything to do with that um, particular group. So where, your concern is the sexualization of children at a young age before they have the mental capacity to be able to make those decisions. Yeah. And it's construed as you're homophobic and yeah. these productive and simplistic conclusions that just aren't accurate at all. Uh, and this is the thing we live in the era where, Context doesn't live, survive in our current conversations, public conversations. It's a thing of the past. And I feel like I'm too young to be lamenting things like, oh, I remember back in the day when we had context? Oh, no. Like, wasn't that nice and nuance and proportionality? Uh, I'm too young for this. But that, that's, that's the fact that if you look at the last 10 years, look at the way things have changed compared to the previous 50 years. Like you, you've got the last 100 years of, of um, progression in the last five to 10 years. Really, when you well, think about it, it's been... It's uh, more law work in our technological dystopias. 
Uh, but you're right, the pace of change over the last 20 years has been enormous. And we haven't had the ability as a society to have adult conversations about how this change affects us as a society and whether that change is good or bad. Um, we've seen enormous changes, even in our lifetime. And think of my parents' lifetime, um, even grandparents. They've seen the world go from no phones to analog to completely digital and wireless in the space mm. of not very long in the context of you know Western civilization. So it's a fascinating time to be alive. I think um, it's an inspiring moment to be alive with how our societies have fractured and changed in the last two years and what good or bad can become of it. Because uh, I think we are at the crossroads of that as Western democracies. I really do. Yeah. And what's interesting, I don't see these people out in the streets or in the shopping centre. So when I'll say something like that, or whatever I'll talk about, it could be mandates as people that, that fully support them and think that, other people told me that the, vac- the unvaccinated should be locked up in a detention facility, right? So there's people that think that way. There's always that one crazy person. There's always going to be one, right? But yeah, I've never, I've never come across those people out there in the real world. Well, not that I know, no. because they certainly won't talk about it in, in person. I know lots of people who support the vaccine, but I know very, very few people who support the state mandating the vaccine on everyone but let's not forget i mean i don't know what the experience was in new south wales but certainly in western australia this was announced by the mining companies and the resource sector and people like crown casino first it was the corporate sector that first mandated the jab to go to work or to gain entry to the facility which i think is apt because it's a better reflection of who the real government in this country is yeah and this is the point that scott ludlam's made in his book uh, there's a lot of political theorists who talked about the phenomenon of state capture. And, you know, we argue about left ring and right ring when in actual fact, the plane has been hijacked and this culture war that is uh, argued amongst in society is just so pathetic and boring and it's a distraction uh, from the real issue. And this is what I can't stand about modern lefties and wokeism is that it's all about social justice in over economic justice. And I'm an old school lefty in the sense that I see the world through the lens of socioeconomics. And that's how I see power through, sorry, through the lens of socioeconomics. This generation of new lefties see uh, power solely through the lens of identity. And there's a lot of, uh, I guess, questions that they can't answer when that's your perception of the world. Um, And it's similar to what happened to the conservative parties in previous uh, decades where they were taken over and a new ideology took place within the party uh, that was far removed from its original foundations. And uh, the two party system is fundamentally broken. The Labor and Liberal parties is that the Coles and Woolworths of Australian democracy, they're the same dog, different leg, uh, however you wanna phrase it. So I think this election, we're going to see a huge uh, shift away from them, the rise of the independents. And I think you might even find that Clive Palmer holds the balance of power in this country and gets to decide who is the next prime minister after the election. And if that is the case, Chris, 
I hope Clive does a victory lap band. <laughs> you know what, man, you know what? It's, that's another thing. We've definitely got to move away from that, that system of Liberal or Labor because they're the same thing, really. Um, I think the, the Liberal Party are not like they were, certainly not. that They don't stand for conservative as much as they did. They still do in some, in some way, but it's still not like they were five, ten years ago, completely different. Oh, look, we have different views of the Liberal Party, but, I mean, what you've got to remember, Chris, is that this... Uh, police state we find ourselves in now and all the draconian legislation that's been rushed through while everyone's been distracted around COVID and around digital identities and Peter Dutton uh, having the ability to delegate the authority to the agencies to take over your social media accounts. Mm. This is all very frightening legislation. But all of this shift happened towards authoritarianism after 9-11. And to quote my favourite writer, this draconian legislation sprung up like an erection at a funeral and <laughs> went through all the Western democracies and it altered them all. Uh, so this is nothing new. It's just on steroids now. And this trend towards surveillance and social credit and authoritarianism, uh, it's really frightening. And I just hope that people, because I'm not having kids uh, and I still have skin in this game. Um, and I do this and I take the positions that I do and I tell the jokes that I do because I care about what future my friends, kids and my family's kids are going to have. And mm. unless we stand up for the things that we value and hold dear in terms of our political freedoms, our kids are not going to enjoy the same quality of life that we did. No, definitely not. And they're, they're already not. I mean, I've got, I've got five kids. That's right. So five kids. Five kids, yeah. You ever heard of condoms? No, no, not not until a few months ago. No, I, I, I um, mate, I do have five kids. I started when I was very young. I was only fifteen when my son was born, so I was very, very young. Um, but it, it's besides the grey hairs and the receding hairline, um, it hasn't served me too bad. It's been, it's a good thing. I mean, now they're they're still, I'm still young. They're young. I, you know, I can kick the ball around with them, and I didn't have that with my father, who's a bit older. Um, so there's definitely some benefits to it, but there is like my, my son is what 13, 13 years old, he's a teenager, I'm not even 30 yet. So, you know, it, it's in the sense, it, it's a good thing, but there's not too much. Yeah, normally it's like, oh, it's a generation, it's a generational thing, but we're pretty much the same in terms of like music, in ter- movies, shows, sports, what he enjoyed were very similar. Um, so I can look at his childhood and, and compare it to my childhood and think, fuck, like, I feel really sorry for you. Like you've got a shit childhood, not my problem, not my fault. It's just the way the world is right. You can't get away with anything anymore. You used to have innocent fun. You can't do that anymore. And you know, it's, it's upsetting as a father. It's very hard to, because you feel like you're doing nothing. You feel like you could do something more. But what can you do? It's very difficult. And I think I do plenty in terms of, of raising awareness and, and just, um, yeah, my voice is heard on a large scale, which is fantastic. But, you know, you always feel like as a father, you feel like you probably do something more. What can I do more to make sure that they have a great childhood? Because that's, your childhood's it, man. It's the best time of your life. It's great. 100%. And, you know, I think uh, there's a great quote by Frederick Douglass 
uh, said that it's cheaper to build strong and healthy children than it is to repair broken adults. And giving your kids that stability and, and attention and love. And also there's a balance with all those things. Mm. Um, Steve Biddulph's written a really good book about that, which my parents are reading when they were raising me. And look how that's turned out, Australia. Uh, oh, fantastic. So, um, I, I think you should be commended, mate, because there's lots of people who have children young and uh, don't confront the responsibility. Mm. But you know, you've... Um, taken it with both hands and you know by the sound of things you've raised a very healthy and affable young lad and and credit to you mate that's um an inspirational thing to hear thanks man it's 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 been it's been tough don't get me wrong it's been very tough at times but you know what it's you can't really there's no handbook all right so when, when a baby pops out they don't come out with a handbook and say here you go he's had to look after me properly you don't get any of that right so you've got to take Pardon? Or you learn, it, you learn that from your parents or you learn it on the fly, right? That's right. So, you know, for example, my father was very strong in terms of discipline. Well, man, if I, don't, if I was, uh, when I was caught smoking as a teenager, my father made just get the belt, chase around the house and he fucking belt me, flogged me with it. He was very tough um, in, in discipline. He wasn't about to time out and fucking sit in the corner and face the wall for five minutes. He was bend over and smack your ass with the belt or you get kicked up the ass of his steel caps or whatever. It was very tough. Um, but I thank him for it now in some ways, because it definitely made me think twice about doing stupid shit. I like, if I fuck up, I ought to go home to that. I'll get my ass kicked. Um, so it did make me think twice about it. Uh, but everyone has their own way of parenting. I certainly wouldn't flog my kids, um, but I'm not overly soft on them. Either. They know what I expect. They know what I won't tolerate. Um, I'm pretty free in terms of um, I don't shelter them too much. Um, I, I know other parents that, you know, won't even let their children watch the news, which is probably a good thing now, but you know, because the, they don't want, they don't want the kids to see what like the, you know, what's going on overseas and you know, the shootings and see that they sort of shelter them from all of that um, and want them to believe that the world is just always happy and everyone's smiling and there's nothing goes on. There's no bad people in the world. And, to me, that's the wrong way. I think that's just my opinion. You can't insulate them from reality, but it's also about a graduated introduction into the reality of life and its harshness. And mm. I think kids have been, there's a whole generation uh, a bit younger than me that have been mollycoddled. And there's a great book about this called The Mollycoddling of the American Mind by a psychologist called Jonathan Haid. And this participation award culture that mm. we've created our kids and it's given them this false expectation about what they can expect in life and when life doesn't meet those expectations there's this gap and that's where the anxiety and the depression comes in because it's hey this is not what I was told to expect or led to believe mm. um, so I think it's important to be real with your kids uh, and also you know foster your kids interest in reading reading books um, and languages. One of the things I feel the dumbest about as a uh, Australian man is that I can only speak one language. I envy people who are bilingual and, you know, I think Australia, as we move forward into the Asian century, we're going to have to learn to speak other languages and be like our European ancestors and, you know, speak languages of the countries around us. We've never needed yeah. to before. It's going to be something Australians need to do in the coming decades. That's a very good point. 
very good point. And I think the language you get taught in school, like I know when I was in high school, it was I think Spanish was one and was other Italian maybe? Well, Spanish was definitely one. But, you know, when would you use Spanish? There's a lot of other languages that would be more beneficial. When you're on a cocaine holiday in South America. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> for, for, for most things, for most things. I've not know, been. It's, it's, um, you know, you'd think like um, Mandarin, Cantonese um, would hold more benefit than Spanish. Um, even Arabic. Arabic is a very complicated language that I've tried to learn. It's very, very difficult. Um, it's also very similar. It's close to a lot of, it's close to Maltese. My family's from Malta as well. So um, my grandparents, I speak Maltese, which is very, very similar to Arabic. But um, yeah, you'd have to, because maybe it'd be, it wouldn't be, I think the older you get, the harder it would get to pick up. Uh, it's something you've got to get into your kids at a young age. It's harder yeah. to learn a language than an adult. And also try and be immersed in it. You can't learn a language an hour a week at school. Mm. Uh, it's not the way to do it. Um, so, still, yeah. It still looks weird, but have you seen Kevin Rudd speak Mandarin? Yes. Yes. It's no, the- Kevin Rudd, the Mandarin speaker. Um, and part of me ruse what the relationship with China might have been had Kevin Rudd's prime ministership not imploded in yeah. the way it, uh, it had the potential to pan out very differently. And uh, Australia's hedged our bets with the Americans now, and we'll see where that takes us over the coming years. But yeah, the what ifs of uh, Kevin Rudd's president, uh, prime ministership. Sorry, he's a yeah, he's a, he's a yeah, he's I can't work him out. He's a very unusual character, Kevin. But um, yeah, for me, when I watch him speak Mandarin, it just I, I look at you kind of it's it's to me it's a form of comedy. When I watch him speak, he's very good, but it's funny. Let's be honest, it's funny. When you see Kevin right up there and he's standing there and he starts to be, what the fuck? Especially if you don't know it's coming. That's what I didn't know it was coming. I had no well, idea this bloke could speak Mandarin. The Chaser Boys made fun of it years ago uh, in one of the series in the election where uh, it was the Kevin 07 election and there was a, an event and some of the Chinese dignitaries were in the audience and Kevin Rudd got up and surprised everyone by doing his speech in Mandarin and I think it was huge in Tao at the time as they're clapping away and uh, the Chaser guys did a really funny send-up of it. But a typical Australia, right? Let's make fun of a guy who knows another language and is a bit of a nerd. I mean, the anti-intellectualism of this country really drives me up the wall. And the way, even when I was growing up, the way we used to make fun of nerds, et cetera, and, you know, it wasn't cool to be smart or good at school. Uh, and this is why I think women too have a role to play. Instead of sleeping with the jock who's really good at rugby or footy, you know, sleep with the guys who are really good at science and maths and history and English literature. Okay. Start rewarding behaviours that are going to be beneficial to the development of society. It sounds good in theory. Yeah, and I'm going to be construed as a misogynist for that remark, but I don't care. No, it sounds good in theory, but yeah, reverse the roles. Would you be willing to, um, instead of fucking the model, would you fuck someone that uh, she's smart, educated, but um, yeah, no, not your type? It's hard. Let's be honest, it's very difficult. Look, my thing is, uh, I, I can't be with girls who aren't funny. 
a sense of humor is everything to me. Um, and, you know, they don't age, they get better with age, a sense of humor, if you ask me. Yeah. There is exceptions to every rule, but yeah, no, it's, um, I'm a perpetually single man over here, mate. And the vaccine stance limits your pull a little bit uh, or reduces it somewhat. Do they care? Well, I've heard stories. Do they, is there women out there that actually care whether you're vaccinated or not? I know this, I've heard stories. Yeah, there is. And on both sides, too. I mean, equally, I've met women who are like, I would never sleep with a vaccinated man. Uh, and there's women I've met who are like, oh, you're not vaccinated. Oh my God, conspiracy theorist. Um, so, but I personally wouldn't not, you know, sleep with someone because they've had the jab, right? I, I don't begrudge anyone's personal choice. Quite frankly, your medical history is none of my business. Mm. Um, and this is why I found uh, this whole show your papers, please society we've become with the vaccine passport so unnerving. Mm. So, and, you know, we couldn't go to the bottle shops here uh, if you didn't have the jab. Whereas in lockdown, that was an essential service. But I had to send my housemate to go buy alcohol for me. And what's funny about it is he's Jewish. So he had to go to the, uh, the bottle shop and show his papers. And I think that's just beautiful irony. But irony is almost dead in this world. What, um, it didn't last long though, did it? No, and it was designed uh, to encourage vaccination uptake amongst the Indigenous people. That was how Mark McGowan was thinking about that issue. Um, and that's why it's been quietly dropped. And it was causing enormous grief for the poor attendance at bottle shops. I mean, it's quite confronting to be shown, asked, like, show me your papers, please, when you go buy booze where you didn't need it to go and buy groceries next door at the supermarket. Uh, there was no logic. There was no reason. Uh, it was completely arbitrary and it served no purpose other than to frustrate, divide and anger people. Uh, so, I mean, I would love to see this health advice that recommended oh, that the uh, bottle shops should be vaccine-only venues. It's a, it's a joke. But you know what, though? I'm, I, I, I empathise with the, the attendance, the shop attendance, and, and I've so always said from, I've said from day one that don't take it out on those people. They don't, they don't want to be doing that. They don't want to be standing at the door asking people that. But, you pick, unfortunately, they cop it because right, they're the face at the door. Because I've, I've worked, uh, prior to working mental health, I worked in nightclubs. So I was a bouncer at, at a few nightclubs. I worked in Kings Cross in the city. I worked, I worked around the Sydney area and in some really dodgy spots. Um, even in just normal, regular spots, man, you, it's, it's tough. It's not an easy job. Um, you know, someone comes to the door and they're off their fucking head. You've got to tell them, oh, sorry, you can't come in tonight. Not, no one ever just goes, okay, man, no worries, see you later. Never, that doesn't happen. It's fuck you. Come over here. Come here, you fucking dog. Then you're the fuck, here we go. So I've had that experience of dealing with people um, that, you know, don't like what you have to say and don't want to accept it and take it out on you. Like, again, I was just doing my job, right? That's my job um, to keep people out of the venue that shouldn't be in there. But, um, yeah, man, it's tough. And I, I really feel so, a lot of these people are fucking kids, man. Like they're, they're 16, 17-year-olds getting abused out the front of Kmart at the time. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, and I feel uh, it is disgraceful. And it, look, it's disgraceful both ways. It shouldn't, we, they, uh, they should never have been put in that situation to begin with. Agreed. Um, but 
it happened. And I think people should have a bit more respect and understanding of that. They probably don't want to be asking those questions. And you can tell half the time they're fucking like shaking. They're red. Like then very uncomfortable having those conversations with people. Um, what I think has been fascinating though, is to see the authoritarian personalities come out of the woodwork. I mean, I know there was a particular store around the corner from me. As soon as you walked in, the attendant was right up in your face, quite aggressive, demanding to see your vaccination passport. Uh, and it disturbed me. And I won't ever go back because of that. Um, and to see how many of those people came out that you didn't expect that had this real authoritarian streak in them, uh, it, it's been frightening. And to see the way people have been conditioned and people are walking around in the streets with their masks on, sitting in the car with the mask on. Uh, and, you know, look, I wear the mask just to, you know, abide by the social contract and signify that I care, mm. but I don't want the vaccine. And my compromise is, well, look, you can cover my face, but you can't come inside me. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a fair compromise. But you know what? I, I can't, man. I've tried. And look, I have at times had to, right? So when my, we had our, my daughter in August, um, and I had no fucking choice. What was my option? Be a hero and go, I'm not fucking wearing that. Shut up your eyes and miss out on my daughter's birth. I had to wear it. So there's been times where you have to wear it. But, and that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is the, the fucking people that drive around in their cars by themselves wearing it. The fuck are you doing? I oh, look, I, I, it doesn't annoy me, annoy me. I just find it funny more than anything. And I like to mock. And I think that's what's really important uh, in this whole thing. This, the way... People, everyone's talking about trust the science. The only science that I think is trustworthy out of the last two years is the science of conditioning. It went from two weeks to flatten the curve, to two years to crush your nerve, and now you've got the government you deserve. And uh, the engineers of the soul and the way social capital has been stripped from our society and we become fearful and afraid. And you've got to remember that collective fear stimulates the herd instinct mm. and it creates a sense of suspicion and hostility to people who aren't regarded as members of the herd. Um, mm. But how often is the herd wrong? And what we've been through in the last 12 months particularly is what I call the debate between natural immunity and herd morality. And the herd morality has often been incredibly devastatingly wrong. It's becoming abundantly clear now with, as time goes on, I think everyone's getting tired, both sides. I think the people that have been defending it, and there's many, there's many doctors who, um, on Twitter that I see regularly, who were completely for it, that are now questioning it, that are now starting to write, you know, things here and there about it and um, others that are just not speaking about it. Um, that haven't got an opinion on it because it's draining. Like, how can you defend something like to the point now where the fact in itself is that if this vaccine worked, we would not be having this conversation now because it would be very clear that it worked. Like it's that, that's it. It's the reality of it. So the fact that we're even having a conversation and that there's valid arguments shows that, well, this thing couldn't possibly be working. And if they say, well, um, yeah, but um, you know, that's why I'm not dead because I got it, but I'm vaccinated. So I survived. It wasn't that bad for me. 
Well, that's an assumption. You have no idea. You're just repeating what you've heard from other people. But in reality, is it because the vaccine is working or is it just because you're comparing pre- the, the previous strain, which was, more, which was more serious, to this new one? That's another, that's another possibility which people have been doing. My view is, mate, the, the COVID vaccines are like the homeless in that none of them work, but we're all paying for it. And <laughs> at what point does the data that's available that wasn't two years ago begin to come relevant in this conversation? At this point, it's a pandemic of bureaucracy and there is no reason to it. And it's like Catch-22, the absurdity of the, the rules. Uh, no singing, no dancing, have your mask on in the pub. Uh, it, it's killed small business. The yeah. city here is dead. What it's, it, to paraphrase Kevin Rudd, this will be regarded as the greatest moral, social, political and economic crime of our times. Uh, yeah. So look, I think history is going to be savage on people like Mark McGowan and Dan Andrews and Jacinda Ardern and Justin Trudeau because I think they've exposed the fact that the left-leaning parties are no different to the right-wing parties uh, mm. in most matters of principle and substance. And this is what concerned me so much over, I guess, the last two years, was how long it took for the traditional libertarians to stand up and say something. But I think it's indicative of the climate of fear and censorship and self-censorship that took hold last year. And we can never forget how... Uh, intimidating that climate was. I mean, I'm a comedian. I say what I think, and I'm not afraid of that to the extent that most people are. And I felt that pressure. Uh, and, you know, props to guys like Andrew Bogart who spoke their minds early and put their head above the parapet and were targeted with some pretty horrendous commentary and people who didn't want to engage in the argument wanted to attack the man. Uh, and I saw some comedians from Melbourne engages in pretty terrible banter and trying to make jokes about it. Uh, and it's just dismissed, completely missing the point. Um, and this is the other thing about the last two years, all the pro-vax art, whether it's poetry, music, comedy, sucks. Was that pro-vax going, poetry? Yeah, I've seen it as being pro-vax oh, song, pro-vax comedy, and it's all sucked. And oh, all the sure. stuff that's been on our side of the argument has been killer and it's got traction online and in, in comedy clubs and I've seen it firsthand. And, um, yeah, so I think that's really telling is that the art is uh, critiquing the power better than most. And if it's a context of art, then there's no question as to who's winning. I've never seen pro-vax poetry and I never want to. That's the most unappealing. F- no, I'm right. I don't even want to say anti. I don't want to say anti-vaccine poetry too. I don't say no poetry about none of that. I don't know poetry, mate. Poetry. No, is... I like poetry. Just not about vaccines. Okay. <laughs> I'll be too fucking. I'll change your mind. What do you reckon about you know clot shots, haves and have nots? What's it going to take to join the dots? You know, That's it's a bad. revival of the oldest war. It's one you've heard before. It's about the one between the rich and the poor. I like Just that. Here, getting shafted while the you know what this country is? It's a sinking ship, and the elites know the ship is sinking, and they're stealing from the wreck in advance while we're all squabbling about fucking masks and vaccines and 
transgender and all these other culture war issues. And uh, yeah, oh, it's 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 concerning I, because the the, the I, lack of. Do you know what? There's something going on with. I'm sure you're up to speed with it, with the World Economic Forum. And there has been for a long time. And you're familiar with that, yeah? Yes, yeah, sure yeah, you're yeah, all yeah. Over it. So it's the path of and the great reset, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, you're aware of that. Now, people dismiss that immediately and just dismiss it as a, as another conspiracy theory. But I truly believe that they mean what they're saying. They they mean it, but in their heads, they also truly believe that. It, there's benefit to it and the people that understand and actually look into it a little bit and read up about it can make arguments that well this is what's best for the world right and at face value it, it's very convincing in terms of what they they speak about they talk about you know um, cutting down on meat, saving the animals, saving the planet, saving the environment, all these other things, you know, talking about bicycles instead of cars and be a cheaper way to live. Um, the other costs will be driven down by that. So be a cheaper uh, cost of living around the world, all these things that they speak about. And, you know, it does sound like shit, that's not bad. It's not a bad way to live. But it's when you actually look into, okay, this is what's happening. This is what that's about. Digital ID, well, that completely gets rid of your privacy. But people are looking at it from the, the World Economic Forum's perspective. And that's where the, but we need to get over this conspiracy theory bullshit. We need to cut that talk out because it's not a conspiracy theory. You can go on there and see it for yourself. It's not a conspiracy theory, but it's easier to label that. There's oh, that's conspiracy theory. I'm not going to waste my time with it. And well, a lot of people do it. Around the word conspiracy theory. Uh, and it's used as a pejorative term to dismiss people who can mount articulate arguments of dissent. And now I think conspiracy is pretty much an objective assessment of verifiable facts. And like you say, this is no longer uh, hiding behind the curtain anymore. People are very open about, I think the language Klaus Schwab used was penetrated cabinets around the world uh, and boasting about it. I do have an issue with the Great Reset hypothesis, though, because I think it requires our leaders to demonstrate a level of competency that they clearly don't have. Yeah. Uh, so it, we'll see what happens over the coming uh, six months, but I think this is the third quarter of the Democratic Premiership. What happens in the next 12 months, I think, will determine the course of this nation for the next 50 years. Yeah, and the language they use, it's like what they're talking about. The you've seen the cyber polygon they have on there. The on sorry, the, what the the cyber polygon it's called. No, I haven't seen it. <clears throat> so if you go on their web the World Economic Forum, you've got the Great Reset and all the other things, and you've got uh, cyber polygon. Right, what that is, it's virtually COVID in the computer. So they're talking about it like a virus that'll get our computers. And we'll shut down everything, shut down the banking, shut down power grids and shut down everything, right? Not like it'll fuck the world up, gone, finished, practically. Um, and then it would take, I try to find the exact language for you. Because when I was real, I'm thinking, holy, this is the same fucking, we've been fed this for the past two years. It was something like um, digital antibodies. 
or digital antibodies. And um, uh, look, nothing would surprise me anymore after seeing Channel 7 in Sydney broadcast footage of people saying, yes, I would like to vaccinate my dog against COVID. <laughs> uh, if people are willing to vaccinate their dogs, why wouldn't they vaccinate their computers? But let's be honest, uh, cyber viruses are probably a bigger threat to human society right now than COVID is. Definitely, uh, 100%. I mean, what the Americans and the Israelis were able to do to the Iranian nuclear facility with Stuxnet that ability to have kinetic consequences from the cyber domain and shut down power grids, electricity, banking systems, industrial command and control facilities, that's a very real threat we face in this world. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, to be very honest. Um, where are we here? Okay, listen to this, ready? This is from their event on July 9th, uh, 2020, 2021. Okay. A desire to immunize the internet with digital antibodies to protect society from cyber attacks and misinformation by exploiting ransomware attacks and a public health crisis to justify the centralization of power and control. Do you hear that shit? Look, the trend towards... Hold on, hold on, the next one's even better. A demonization of cryptocurrencies in favor of central bank digital currencies where all transactions are recorded on a centralized ledger and have the ability to grant permissions on purchases, which further consolidates power. Yeah, well, look, this is the problem with how fluid and fast the news cycle moves, right? And this is what totalitarianism does. It's one lie, one issue after the another. By the time you're finished conceptualizing and getting your head around the first lie, they hit you with another one or another issue. It's the succession of issues designed to confuse and disorient and isolate. And people who speak out against it are demonized. Mm. Uh, and take into account the, the unvaccinated, the way they were dehumanized and some of the rhetoric around denying them access to uh, medical facilities. I had a friend who was coerced into the vaccine because he wasn't able to be there for the birth of his child mm. unless he was vaccinated. Uh, and the contradiction in the era of my body, my choice, and you know, enthusiastic and ongoing consent uh, around uh, other issues, the contradiction I find is astounding. Yeah, man, it's bad. What I just read to you then, if you were to in summary, well, I could easily say to you, listen, they just want to fuck you in the ass. That's it. You'll have nothing. They'll take away all your power, all your control over, including your financial, because they'll remove it. They will have mm -hmm. control over everything. And that's a pretty fair summary. That's exactly what they intend to do. And cryptocurrency is proving to be a huge problem. Um, see, the conversation that we're having now, this is a thing. This is what gets me. The conversation that you and I are having now should be, that conversation should be on 60 fucking minutes, right? With um, whatever her name is, that Liz Hayes and on the ACA with old Tracy Grimshaw, right? She should be having these conversations instead of worrying about a fucking people. Yeah, instead of worrying about people fucking doing burnouts down the road. She should be like, these conversations need to happen because for some reason, people that 
invest i could never imagine investing 30 minutes a night into watching the nightly news fuck that people do it and that's where they get their news from if they start having these conversations on those platforms on those channels and those programs you know me and you wouldn't sound like a bunch of fucking crazy maniacs um that that are having a discussion about shit that's not going to happen that's the way they would look at it oh, it's never going to happen there's no way that we would never we would never let that happen. That's what they would say. We would never let that happen. And before they realize it's happening, the tip's already, the, the, they've shoved the tip in at that point and it's too late. That's it. They're going to push the rest in, right? And that's what's going to happen. I can see that happening where the vast majority of people are only going to realize, shit, we've got a problem when it's too late. Right. Well, it's the, the slow boiling the frog analogy and there's a very good argument to say that it probably is already too late. Uh, but look, I'm an optimist of the heart and a pessimist of the mind and hope is the last thing to die, Chris. And I try very consciously to spook a narrative of optimism and hope uh, because I think they're the things that will get us through this. I don't think there's any point in being nihilistic or defeatist. Uh, and it's much more exciting and enjoyable and, uh, you know, fun to be on the side of optimism because we are at a point of enormous change in uh, Western societies and in the balance of power throughout the world. Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw Joe Biden's State of the Union address the other day, uh, but wasn't he just, isn't he just a beautiful visual metaphor for the Pax Americana and the American empire? It's in terminal decline. Kamala Harris is not the vice president. She is his carer. Uh, <laughs> That's a good point. She is. He, yeah. I mean, America is uh, a whole other conversation, but where they go, we follow. And what disturbs me is the Americanization of our society. Everywhere you look in Western Australia, we've just got Taco Bell, uh, and Costco, which, you know, the obesity rate definitely needs in this state is uh, another supersized supermarket full of shit food. We've had Costco here for years now in Sydney, years, probably about like 10 years, maybe even more. Do you know what blew my mind about Sydney? There's a fucking Aldi in Darling Point. <laughs> Why is there Aldi in the eastern suburbs in Sydney, Chris? Can anyone explain that to me? Mate, I don't know. I don't know how. Well, let me, hold on. This is about probably six months ago. You know how they have the Audi special buys? Yeah. They have some random shit, like completely out of the blue. They'll be, you know, Audi's yeah. supermarket, right? Also, they'll bring up a fucking no, gaming or PC something. or yeah. something crazy, right? And my mum called me once. She was like, hey, listen, what was it? A fucking camping chair. So can I, I want this camping chair. You got to get it from Audi. I said, yeah, no worries. What day? It's just Saturday. So you're sweet. Because what time are you going? I said, I don't fucking know. It's like a week prior. I don't fucking know. Whatever. Now you have to be there right as I open. I said, before. They've only got one. Like, fuck, what have they open for? No, no, because they, they, there's a rush and they sell out very quickly. Yes, mum. All right, no worries. So I got there like an hour or two after the open. I was too fucking early. What going to Audi's at like eight o'clock in the morning. I get there. And it's like, a, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I, the, the amount of people that were in there looking at this shit and vicious, like they were angry. Like those fucking 60 year olds are trying to push me out of the way. Push me out of the way. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, Excuse me, sir. Like they're in a rush. 
Well, they go on the fucking treasure chest. A and a bargain, Chris, right? They're on oh, the pension. Mate. I've learned the hard way. So I'm like, fuck, or else never. Like, Mum's like, did you get it? Did you get the chair? Did you get the chair? I said, yeah, yeah, I got it. She says, oh, I just, I just, I just went to my local and got one anyway, just in case you forgot. I said, yeah. so you made me go up here, wait. The fucking, looks like pensioners day. You have me sit there and try to be polite. I had to be polite to a group of people that wanted to fucking kill me at one point. And you just went and got it anyway. But there, I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I didn't think anyone shopped it. If someone goes, oh, I shop at Audi's, you fucking no, tight ass, the fuck. <laughs> Go to your local butcher or your fruit, fuck you got Audi's for. But people, apparently they love it. Yeah, no, look, it's uh, when Taco Bell first came here, there was a huge line as well. And I am forever mystified about people who, um, if that level of fandom for a brand that is just completely shit for you. Have you had it? No, I still haven't had Taco Bell. I don't want to destroy my jocks, mate. Um, <laughs> I can't work at the moment, so I'm trying not to ruin undergarments. Yes, yeah, Taco Bell has a bad reputation for uh, turning your jocks into Jackson Pollock pieces. I've never had Taco Bell. I've had other places like they've got um, like what is it? There's a few out here. Guzman, Guzman, or something. I think that's how it's pronounced. You know what Sydney has that we don't is Oporto. You haven't got a Porto there. No, nah, no, nah, you've got like the black and gold Nando's. We don't have it. Gold Nando's, a good point. We we have Nando's as well, but so it depends on uh, which one. Man, a Porto's used to be the shit back when they first opened their stores. You get a Bondi burger, and it was fucking this big. It was huge, massive, and beautiful. It was so good. Now it's just it's become Macca's, like just commercialized. You can see it's shit. So I'm not a fan of uh, a Porto made. And every time I eat a Porto without fail, I feel fucked. I feel yeah, terrible. Yeah, wow. Thanks for the heads up, mate. Stick to the Nando's is the moral of that story. Stick to the Nando's, mate. And um, yeah, but we've got so much shit in Sydney that I um, I don't go. I live about probably forty-five minutes from Sydney. If I was jumping the car right now, I'd head to Sydney Harbour, it'd take about oh, probably about fifty minutes. 50 Are you minutes in the, uh, like southwest or the south? Southwest, mate. Southwest yep. Sydney. Um, I love it here. I wouldn't, um, I couldn't move any closer to the city. I don't think I fucking hate Sydney. I hate it with a passion here. It's just the right distance where it's a bit quieter. Mm. Um, you know, you don't do, it gets busy obviously cause they're fucking, they're putting estates up. I don't know what it's like in WA, but fuck every second week there's a new estate or down the road. The the fuck? Housing and the supply should, this is what annoys me. What self-respecting global pandemic puts upward pressure on housing prices. Yeah, this one. This one. <laughs> it's you know, ridiculous. I'm telling you, the, the prices out here at the moment are so ridiculous. Whereas, like, to give you an example, a four-bedroom house um, in a suburb, oh, about 10 minutes from me, uh, just an average fucking, nothing special about it. Your four-bedroom house on, on only 400 square metres. So you can imagine, right? You can imagine what it's like. Tiny, tiny block. The house is just cramped up. Like you'd hear, you could probably hear your neighbors take shit. They're all right next to each other, right? That size house uh, was going for 1.3 mil. And that's about 40 minutes, 40, 10 minutes from me, 40, 35, 40 minutes from Sydney. 
from the CBD as 1.3 mil. Like what's the affordability crisis? And you know, if I was the state premier tomorrow, I would put a cap on the number of residential properties you're allowed to own. Uh, I mean, I know of people in Western Australia who have a portfolio of 200 plus residential properties that they have, and it's inflated the price of housing so much. And residential housing shouldn't be for speculating and making obscene amounts of money for. Uh, people need a place to live and I think you know the dog's probably bolted in this country but I think there is a lot of policy measures the governments could take to ease up the affordability crisis in this country because I'll probably never own a house mate I'm pursuing a career in the arts instead of the law so you know mate you know what it's a credit to you because it's um you have to take those chances there's nothing more I hate I've got family members that are in this position I was in that position for many years. I've got mates who are still doing it where they're in a job that they fucking hate. They hate it. Like they despise it. Like they, they, they cry, like practically cry in the car or they fucking hate it. Right. But they do it because it's, it's, they know that they turn up to work this time, finish this time. They get paid the same day every week or fortnight month, whenever they get paid, uh, they get complacent. And I'm like, fuck, like I know it's, it's comfortable it's convenient but fuck man like you know they press a one of these presses a button that's all he does all day every day just doom doom all 10 hours 10 hours of that fuck that'll be suicidal so mm. you know I, I said before the job i was doing i loved it it was rewarding um working in mental health and but the company i work for was a bit fucking how you going and i didn't really get on with the my my superior um she was a bit of a cunt so I was at the point where I'm like, you know what, if I left, I left. Like, it's good because I can say that now, right? You can't. So I was like, well, I let it, that, that happen. Mandate happened. And that was it, right? Um, and now boy, I'm de- it's definitely more stressful. You know exactly what it's like. not working. It's fucking horrible. You get stressed. You don't know. But I'm very fortunate that I have at least something coming the way of the podcast and a few other things I work on. And I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. But I've got five fucking kids and a wife to look after. So... Um, I can't really afford to have time off at all. So, I mean, I, I, I work harder now than I did when I was working. Mm. It's fucking, it's tough. And, it, man, you'd know what it's like. But the amount of hours you would put in mastering your craft um, for very little reward initially, let's be honest. It's, yeah, well, look, and all the most rewarding work I've ever done in my life, whether it was as a lawyer or a comedian, I've done for nothing. And I guess there's something about the spirit of charity that invigorates your soul and when it's a worthwhile cause. But, yeah, you know, you're right. The arts and work for yourself, there is a lot of time you spend working that you're not rewarded for or you don't get uh, any monetary gain from. So, But like you say, it's uh, the path less travelled and it's a more interesting one than some of the more rigid, I guess, journeys people we know are on and it's something I, I feel uh, a privilege to have. Obviously I don't have kids and a wife and a mortgage. So I have less pressures on me, I guess, to succeed. And um, perhaps that's what I need, right? Maybe I need some kids and some mouse to feed to make me really work hard. Yeah. You know what it does? It puts, it's a, it's a, it's a constant, 
it's on the back of your mind. You don't live for yourself anymore. You live for the kids. So it's like, well, when you, anything I do now, I'm thinking, and it's, bro, I, I'm, I don't want a fucking nice, I don't want a Ferrari. I don't want a mansion. None of that shit interests me in the slightest. I mean, I just want to be able to live a life where I'm happy, comfortable. We're not eating baked beans every night. I'm doing something I love doing. And it, it, it's, you know, it's happened. I, I don't know how, I still get a shock when I click on your page and I see the engagement and the, I'm like, how the fuck don't more people love this bloke? Because a lot of comedians that I follow um, and that I've known, I know a few personally, and they're fucking not half as good as you. I mean, it cracks me up. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. But that's indicative of the entire Australian comedy industry. And I was just on SBS talking about cancel culture Tuesday night. Uh, and funnily enough, people were trying to cancel me from going on a program about cancel culture. Uh, and that's how bad it's become. And all the best comedians in this country aren't signed by the agencies. And this country's comedy industry has a very strange moral compass where if you make a joke about rape, your career's over. But if you're actually accused of it, it's a different story. And if uh, the journalists in this country were serious about rape as, a, as an issue, that's the story they'd be investigating about hush money and, you know, if you've got a TV show or a certain privilege, then you're treated differently to someone like me who I was, who only made a joke about the subject, wasn't actually accused of it. So, yeah, that episode's on demand at the moment. Check it out. The Liberal Party joke didn't go to air, but they did put it to print. So what's um what's uh what's the show called? The it's called Insight. Insight. And it was a program. Yep, it's on SBS. On demand. Yep. Sweet. So it's like their online portal. Yeah, like yeah. I'll um, I'll check it out for sure. Uh, but it's it's a weird fucking time. It's strange times that we're living in. Like I, I think to myself all the time, like, am I fucking wasting my time? I love what I'm doing, I and mean, I love doing this show and meeting people, having a chat. Um, it's great. And man, the, the episode I put out bef- um, with Pete Evans, that's the other day, it already cracked over 100,000 downloads in like, like six days. Mm. Now, I can promise you that if I was going along with the narrative and was getting 100,000 downloads, I'd be getting phone calls and messages about all different types of things. How are you doing to fucking wear my shirt and I'll pay you X amount of money and do do this, this. Yeah, that would happen. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it happen cool. to, to other people that that um, other people have their own podcasts and shows who I talk to regularly and um, they, they don't get like, like even half of, of the listeners that I have. But they're on like, one bloke's got a, a contract where they were 300 grand a year, just a contract. And I'm like, the fuck is that possible? But he does good. I'm, I'm happy for him, of course. But it just it shows you like that the system's broken, where people want to hear people want to hear these conversations. They don't want to hear the other shit about like because they hear it everywhere. You, like mm. you hear, um, I'll use whatever as example, um, criticizing the unvaccinated. You hear that on Channel Seven, Channel Nine, Channel Ten, Sky News, ABC, fucking every place. You hear it everywhere. The last thing people want to do is go onto a podcast and listen to that shit again. And that's why I think um, shows like this one have had incredible success in terms of people, just the, the sheer people that listen to it. It's fucking, it amazes me. It's, um, 
I think indicative of the time we're living in, there's a thirst for authentic conversation and, and honesty. And it's not something that people can find in any mainstream platform. There's very narrow parameters within which a debate and a discussion can take place. Certain issues are completely off limits. Mm. Um, and what I thought was interesting watching your, uh, I guess, development and page grow was the the surfers that I follow jumped on very early and the surfers were early to this uh, no vaccine debate, especially from, I guess, the Northern Rivers region and the South Coast, uh, Queensland. Um, And it was, you know, I got some very humbling uh, feedback from one of my favourite surfers growing up on the New South Wales Central Coast. Shout out to Jughead. Um, So, yeah, I think it's funny the way it's brought together a really uh, unique cluster of people that would otherwise not have anything in common aside from the fact that they just want a good life for their kids. Yeah. And, and I don't know what it is about surfers. They'll very early on, they're quick to jump on. And then it, it's, bro, like I had fucking, I've got Kelly Slater in my inbox. Like, what the fuck? That's incredible for me. Yeah, that's Kelly. Uh, yeah, he's a champion. What a hero. What a hero. What a hero. Mate, he's unbelievable. He's a machine. And you know what? When I first, I didn't know he was commenting on my posts. Honestly, I didn't know. And I can't keep, like, I don't read all the comments. And people started tagging me saying, holy shit, Kelly Slater follows you. I was in messages saying, Kelly Slater's up. He follows you and he's commenting. What the fuck? And then I followed him back and went to the request and he's messaging, what the fuck is Kelly Slater messaging? That's insane. Like, who am I? To be honest, like, it's Kelly Slater was messaging me. What the fuck? And you know what? We've had many conversations and he's such a good guy. And you realize very quickly, well, I realized they're just normal fucking people. Really, they are. They're normal people. He's um, a picture of He's a 50-year-old man who's the youngest and oldest world champion in surfing. He's yeah. just won the Pipe Masters. I mean, what 50-year-old pro athlete is in as good a physical condition as Kelly Slater? Yeah, none. None. The guy's a machine. Yeah, he's not allowed to come over here because he's a health risk. <laughs> Fucking what? Have you seen the funny thing is that have you seen the people that enforce those? That's the funniest part about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cognitive dissonance and the hypocrisy is hilarious, isn't it? Oh, mate, like I, you can't help but laugh at it. And you're like, man, this guy's fucking. If he gets COVID, I can almost promise you. I don't need to be a fucking doctor. I can promise you, he'll be fine. He'll be all right. Just let him fucking do his business, man. Like, let him go. Yeah, well, look, if I die of COVID, I want my tombstone to read, he appreciates the irony uh, and feel free to <laughs> dance on my grave, but just don't goose step on it. <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you what, that's why I wait. It's People are waiting. I've have like the people that have messaged me and they just, they just say some horrible shit. You're like, it doesn't bother me personally. I'm thinking, like, imagine being you. Like imagine being that person that just wishes death on people. Like the fuck is wrong with you? Like you want me to get vaccinated to protect everyone around me, but you wish I die. You're such a fucking amazing virtuous human being. And this is the thing that the Nancy woke brigade suffer from as well. They preach and speak the language of tolerance and kindness and Mm. inclusion and diversity. And then when you put their behavior under the microscope, they couldn't be further from those things they aspire to. They're all just platitudes and it annoys me so much. That, what, is uh, it? what is it about, I've got my opinion on it. 
about what it is. I believe that those people that, because you'll, you'll find certain people, they will, okay, the vaccine, for example, um, criticizing the unvaccinated and preaching to everyone, listen, get the vaccine, you can do it, you know, rah, rah, rah. Then, bang, I stand with Ukraine. That was the next thing. Then whatever comes next, then climate, yeah, climate, they're already on climate. There's a few, that's what, like Women's Day, the Mardi Gras, every, I don't know the word for it, every event, right, that they can capitalize on, it seems to me anyway, that they jump up and down about it and they all follow the same trends, right, the same things they stand up for. And it's like, you can't possibly believe every single thing you post about because you don't know anything about that. I can tell what you're saying. You know nothing about it. So why are you so emotionally invested in something you don't even, you don't even know about? Now, I believe it's due to an identity crisis. I think a lot of people are confused about their place in the world. And maybe they haven't, they haven't got their own identity. They don't, they're not really anything. Or they don't stay. So to, to counter that, they conform with these other movements because that's their identity then they're part of that movement and it's like yeah. a, a it's like a tribal element to it where they're they belong like they belong to this now like they feel comfort they have you know that's what i think it is because i can't what? find any other logical explanation as to why people would feel the fucking need to virtue signal on any topic that they come across i don't get it i think it's a, a multifaceted uh answer to that question the first thing it makes me think of is Nietzsche when uh, he wrote that God is dead and we've seen the decline of Christianity around the world and what's filled the void has been ideology. In the previous century, it was communism or capitalism. Uh, this era we're living in, it's this identity and emphasis on you know gender, ethnicity, sexuality, etc. But to me... If that's the most interesting thing about you, i.e. the things that you didn't choose, you're inherently boring to me. What makes you interesting to me is the things that you do choose because that informs me what your hobbies are, what your interests are, what you value. Uh, And interesting people have hobbies. Um, But these people who just want to define themselves solely by their sexuality or their gender or ethnicity, you don't reduce the spectre of something by constantly invoking it. And it's absurd politics to me because it fractures people, it divides people, it doesn't unite people at all. And what it's done is it's fragmented what used to be a unified political block, i.e. the working class. Um, and going back to what I said earlier about economic justice instead of social justice, not to diminish or dismiss the need for social justice at all, but I think it's come at the expense of figuring out, well, hey, what's a fair slice of the pie for Australians in terms of the way mining royalties are given out or subsidies to mining companies or how much we take in regulatory licence fees from gambling operators, et cetera. Mm. Uh, This country is being robbed blind by the corporate sector. We should be the richest country in the world. I digress slightly, but anyway. It's it's just... I don't know. It's concerning that I, I look, I don't know what, what can be done about it. It just seems unfair that you're, you can't have an opinion unless it's in line with what um, 
I guess, is the worldwide, I wouldn't say narrative, what's the word I'm looking for? Norm, almost. Like yep. everyone falls in line to a certain way of thinking. And as I said to you earlier in the show, that the comments that I left about not wanting to educate children between ages of, of four and seven on gender and sexuality, that doesn't mean that I hate gay people or trans people. But you'll get painted like you do. Oh, you're a homophobe, transphobe, whatever else phobe. There's a million and one names I could be given, but it's like, well, I'm not. That like, don't you need stop worrying about me? Like, if you're so concerned about that, focus on the people that actually want to harm you, because there's people out there that hate you that much they want to hurt you, for a fact. And you're worried about me because I said something about a particular subject within that topic, primarily just about kids. And they shouldn't be educated on it until they're a certain age. But it's the same, you know, you should be able to have an opinion. And then what I find is that you won't be able to have a debate on that post because they don't give you the fucking chance to have a debate. You just get bombarded with name calling and labels. You're like, the fuck is wrong with you? Like, can't we have yeah, a... In all saying that, in saying that, one person did actually respond a trans uh, uh, I think man, hope I don't fuck that up, a trans man who was now a male, uh, a school teacher. And he spoke to me about it from, I was fucking, I was blown away because I'm not used to that um, from that particular group. Um, and he was willing to have a, a conversation. And he actually said, I understand that your point of view. Helpful. Pardon? Look at that, a dialogue being helpful. Oh, man, and I was so shocked. I've been through myself last year with what I went through with the Fringe Festival and um, having my contract with Centre Entertainment cancelled is that I was trying to engage people in good faith and, you know, don't call me names. Like, let's have a constructive conversation about this and see if we can find some common ground and understanding. What and got, what what, what got you cancelled? Just so we go back so we know what we're talking about. What are you? Uh, so I was heckled by uh, some girls persistently and unbeknownst to me there was a journalist from the West Australian in the front row and he heckled me uh, and I gave him a particularly vicious put down which he uh, didn't take very well um, and anyway I've got footage of him chasing me up the stairs afterwards threatening me with defamation accusing me of racism uh, and it had a really enormous impact on my life and um, I had my name dragged through the mud in the media. Uh, I had a hatchet job on Triple M with uh, a journalist that backfired on her spectacularly. Um, but going back to what I was saying in that episode is that what I learned is you cannot negotiate in good faith with a bad religion. And that's what the wokeism is. That's what the, the pro-vaxxers are. They are a bad religious group bordering on a cult. And it's near and on impossible to have a constructive conversation with them. And that's what I'm afraid of is that we get to a point where people are incapable of changing their minds and engaging in honest self-reflection. One of the great failings of people and institutions is to is an inability to have an honest reckoning with their own failings. And it takes a lot to admit that you were wrong. Uh, but to me, I think it shows a depth of character and I'm not above admitting when I'm wrong. And I've got plenty of examples in my life where I have apologised and redeemed and atoned. Uh, but I don't think there's any shame 
in admitting that you were initially conned by sophisticated propaganda. What we have to remember about the whole last two years is how coordinated the propaganda was around vaccinations. Mm. And it was from everywhere, from the football to the shopping centre to Spotify ads. It was ubiquitous. Mm. And it was military grade. Yeah. I mean, and that's not the domain of conspiracy anymore. So as the Ukraine war dominates the headlines and inflation becomes more of a story and more data leaks out about uh, the vaccines and the actual death rates around the world. I mean, the ABS stats a couple of weeks ago amused me no end. Yeah. Uh, it's, what was it, 2,600 deaths in two years. Mm. 260,000 deaths over a two-year period, 1%. And 91% of those had underlying health causes. And the average age of death was 83, which is higher than the average life expectancy in this country. I'm sorry, the argument is over. That's right. Get your back ball, go home, do some honest self-reflecting, maybe apologise where you need to. But I think it's also important that people like us we don't gloat too much and engage in I told you so as this narrative crumbles all the way. You catch more flies with honey. And I think the people who had the courage of their convictions over the last two years, particularly the last 12 months, and stood their ground on principle are going to emerge from this uh, more respected and, uh, I guess, empowered in a sense. And our voice won't be smeared and mocked as readily as it was last year yeah and you know what's interesting about i don't think i've actually really spoken about it is um conviction was why i didn't want it more so i don't want to be forced into fucking anything the minute you start trying to force me fuck you i'm I'm going to be as difficult as i can be oh no part of that um and it was very concerning the language that was being used around it and the threats from my employer um you know the constant um, reminders to, to hurry up or you're going to find yourself without a job, all these other things. It didn't sit well with me. So fuck this. No way am I going to do it. And then the more time that went on and I started speaking to people and learning more, educating myself on the top, then I was like, well, I don't even want it. Like, even if I, I don't, this is my honest opinion. I would rather, I'd rather inject heroin under a bridge right now than I would to go and get a Pfizer jab. That's my honest, that's that's whole heart swell on my kids. Why? Because I know what heroin is enjoy heroin. Well, well, probably enjoy it, right? It'd have to be enjoyable. Otherwise, fucking people wouldn't be chasing it for years, right? But look, I know for me, I know what it's gonna do. Like I know that okay, it's gonna might whack me, I might pass. I don't know. But you know, in two weeks from now, I'm not gonna start having fucking heart problems, am I? Right. I'm not going to get blood clots from heroin. So I'm like, well, I'd be more comfortable doing that than I would get in this. I don't know part of that. But it was like, well, no, it's the first time in my life where I felt powerless in a sense of like, I don't want it. Well, you have to have it. No, I don't. Well, you can't work. The fuck do you mean? Like you've just blackmailed me. And everyone I was working in mental health uh, in the hospital, in the unit years ago, when they had that deadly flu, uh, flu season, was it 2017? 2018, 2017. Um, it was really bad. And again, I don't want the flu shot. I had the same stance, but I don't want the, for what form? I'm not going to fuck get the flu. 
And they don't no worries. Um, you can still work, but you just can't work in particular wards, which is like the really high risk, like palliative care wards. Um, and I was like, that's fair enough. Fair call. No problem. Um, and that's how they should have been handled. It should have been more looked at. Okay. If you don't want it, that's fine. You can do this at work instead of this, but you know, you can go here, but you really can't go there. That way you keep a job. Um, and that's it. Like we're not forcing you to do anything. And that's acceptable in my opinion, a lot more acceptable than saying, well, you know what? You can't work at all. No, you can't work. Even if you're working, you can work from home. That's the crazy thing. I could have worked from home. I was a manager. I was literally, everything I'd done was a computer. I could have worked from home, but I wasn't allowed to work from home because I was um, unvaccinated. It's like, well, fuck. I transmit the virus through your email, mate. Yeah, that's right. I pass it over the, the fucking Zoom calls we used to have. But to me, that's ridiculous. That's just taking the piss. Well, that's completely unnecessary. So it was. And look, I've never, I haven't told a single person not to get it. Never. I've never told a human being except my kids. Don't get so that's it. That's your right as a parent, right? But, that's right. I mean, you've given your kids measles, mumps, rubella, tetanus, uh, yeah. meningococcal, those vaccines. And this is what's overlooked so much in this debate is the insistent use of the pejorative phrase anti-vax. Yeah. When everyone knows that's not the case for people like me or yourself or many other Australians. Mm. And... It's infuriating. Yeah. Infuriating. You, can get, you can get angry about it. Look, if they still use the word like it's insulting, like, are you anti-vaxxer? You know, I'm like, fuck, you know, terrific. You're literally a spike protein factory. The fuck are you talking about? Leave me, leave, save, leave me alone, stay over there. I don't, I don't get involved with it because it, it, it'll piss you off. But now, you know what? These people are just completely uneducated on it. Like, that's like saying... Calling someone an anti-vaxxer like myself or you who've had all your fucking needles, my kids have had their needles, right? So calling me an anti-vaxxer is like calling someone anti-car because they didn't they chose the four-door instead of the two-door. They didn't want the two-door, they wanted a four-door. You're anti-car. Well, no, I just don't want an anti-two. I don't want a two-door car, but I hope you have a four-door. Same thing, same shit. I will have other vaccines. I just don't want that one. That's it. Well, but- and the thing, that annoys me about this is I think that our side of the argument is undermined by some of the more crazy, implausible, conspiracy-minded people that it attracts, right? Mm. Uh, And we can't deny the fact that we're in bed with some pretty strange political bedfellows. Uh, But I don't think you need to resort to conspiracy to mount a very compelling, persuasive argument against the vaccines. Let's take, for example, the contract the government signed with Pfizer. A, it was secret. B, we indemnified Pfizer for any liability. C, any dispute was to be dealt with in a private arbitration in New York. Um, and what is the hallmark of all impropriety? It is secrecy. And if the government wanted to ease the vaccine hesitancy in this country, they would have released the contract they signed with Pfizer instead of keeping it secret. And this is what annoys me is that the media and the political class don't address these issues or interrogate them to the extent that it satisfies the population. And then they wonder why no one trusts them. Yeah. 
That's right. Well, you created this problem all on your own and you don't have the slightest insight into why. And it was the same with Joe Rogan. No one in the media was asking themselves, why is Joe Rogan trusted more than the traditional media? No one. And if they answered that question, they might have uh, something useful to say. But until then, they've got nothing of substance to say. The prostitutes in this country should hang their heads in shame, especially Joe Hildebrand. Uh, I saw a chop up of two articles he did the other day, one of which was last year that said uh, it's un-Australian to not be vaccinated or to choose not to be vaccinated. Six months later, he's got a headline saying, oh, how the hysteria and fear was so unjustified. So... (laughs) What the fuck is your definition of hypocrisy, Joe Brand? Listen, those people have no conscience. They, they don't give a fuck. They know what they're saying. They know mm. that they're, con- they're constantly contradicting themselves, but they don't care because that's their job. And you know what? So this climate situation, right? This, you know, now that the talk's really ramping up about climate change. And I don't know where I stand on climate change. So I don't know enough about it. Maybe. Maybe we're fucking the planet up. I'm sure we are in some capacity, but is it, are we causing the fucking floods? Are we causing the temperature to rise? I don't know. So what I'm going to do is very, very soon, actually, as of pretty much immediately, I'm going to try and find a climate scientist who's for it and against it and have them both on the show and ask them questions and get to, okay, well, that's what they said. That's what they said. Well, now I can sort of work out where I stand on the issue. Um, and the listeners can get both sides of the story. And that's mm. what I really want it to be about. Like, I've got a guy coming on soon, Dr. Sean, you know, Dr. Sean Baker, the no. carnivore. He's pretty much the guy that wrote the carnivore diet in terms of the popularity of it. Um, he wrote the carnivore book, all that. Um, he's coming on. Then I'm also going to get plant-based Ben on, who's going to play the opposite end of the spectrum, where he's all about eating plants uh, and have open discussion with them both about why they think it's best, why he thinks it's best and the issues are both. And then I can make my own mind up and the audience has a chance to hear both sides of the story. That's what's important. That's what needs to happen. And that is not happening through traditional media outlets. It's just not happening. We've got Bill Gates sitting there, that evil, sadistic fuck that he is. I don't care what he is. He's probably one of the most dangerous men on the planet, right? In terms of his ideology and the ideas that he fucking formulates in his mind. Smart guy, but he's a fuckwit. So he's out there saying, listen, you need to do this, 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 because this is a problem. This is a problem. You need to get vaccinated because there's another pandemic coming. I promise you it's coming very soon, right? Yes, everyone listen to Bill. If I say that, you're not a doctor. Who are, You have no right to be talking about that. I was like, well, I went to the, I've got the same degree as Bill does. We're equally qualified. Give me a break. Uh, no, no. So that whole, that's the difference. That's the difference. And that's the media by pushing Bill Gates and giving him the airtime where they don't, they don't want to do it to other people. Could be the fact that he's worth a hundred billion dollars. That probably plays a part, but you know, to me, it's like you, fair is fair. You got to get, got to give everyone the opportunity to speak. Some of the smartest people I know um, aren't formally educated you know, with fucking degrees and PhDs and all that. Well, Paul Keating left school at 15 and never went to university and he was regarded as one of Australia's best prime ministers. 
Uh, and, you know, there's a difference between being smart and educated, I guess. And some of the smartest people I know left school early or had to leave school early because they had to look after a family. And mm. there's a whole lot of unwarranted elitism that comes along with, uh, say, what I've got a law degree. Uh, and I've got two degrees. One of them is a law degree, but people think, oh, he's a lawyer, it must know, but it's just smart, right? But it's just glorified reading and writing. There's not really justified the elitism that surrounds it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, been stunning to me to see how many people who are allegedly informed and know about history to have just swallowed this Kool-Aid and the narrative and forget the things that we were taught at uni. I've got some friends who, um, some of their views, the way they've changed in the last 12 months, I found it astounding. We've agreed on so much over the years and suddenly on this issue, they've done a complete 180 in their um, thinking and comedians I know who now support censorship. It's insane. And this folly of censorship, the idea that if Joe Rogan was shut down tomorrow, that all my concerns about the effectiveness of the vaccine, the transparency around the contracts, the accountability would suddenly go away they would be confirmed. And like you say, the only cure to this is to let everyone speak. Uh, and I'll just clearly, you know, I think the climate science is largely settled. How it plays out is a, another contested question, but um, this is the thing. Science has to be open to question, discussion, and, and, and the methodology that served us so well for so long. I wonder what Galileo would say if he were alive today. Man, you know what? It's, so that's another thing. So you've got the climate science, right? Um, people believe that that's a real thing and it's a big problem that needs to be rectified. But then you find that people are abusing it and they're pushing their own narrative because they can, because they've got the clients, the, the climate um, argument behind them. And it's like the, the thing I shared. You see what I shared today, that headline from news.com.au? No, let me have a gander. If it's from news.com.au, it's uh, largely propaganda. Yes, but I was looking at that and I was like, these people are at it again. Like, it's fucking, here we go. A supercharged climate with rain bombs, flash floods and destruction will be Australia's new normal. Well, look, uh, I don't, as much as I hate to defend news.com, there's some layers to that. A one is rank hypocrisy. Ten years ago, they would have demonised and smeared anyone who made that argument relating to climate science. Uh, and B now that them just engaging in nothing but alarmism to generate clicks. And this is the problem with modern media. It out, it's driven by outrage uh, and anger, and that's what generates clicks. Nuanced and balanced conversations don't generate lots of clicks uh hopefully that paradigm is starting to shift but uh that's the model of traditional media it's about stoking hate and division because that's the only way they can survive hmm. and you know there's nothing wrong with that it's it's a beautiful debate and discussion is a beautiful thing and you know i've had i've had senator roberts on here he's completely against the climate science calls it out as complete bullshit not interest doesn't want to hear of it right um and he's actually quite educated in that topic like he's what come what he said his degree was now in uni but he spent a lot of time studying he does know what he's talking about 
You can be um, very educated and still be a complete fuckwit with due respect to Senator Roberts. Uh, he and I don't see eye to eye on many things, but on the mandates we do. Uh, yeah. But sorry, I, I digress and interrupted you there. No, you're right. Um, but, you know, he should have the right to share his opinion. He shouldn't be shut down for that opinion. And he shouldn't be censored for that opinion because it's a fucking opinion. Mm. And that's where we've got it wrong. Where, and it will happen. It, it, trust me, it will happen very, very soon where they're going to start labeling talk um, about climate as misinformation. It's going to happen. And it's going to be put under the same banner. And I have a big problem with that because we don't need to be told that something is misinformation. If I say to you, uh, listen, I got vaccinated and now I've got a 15-inch cock, right? You'll know that I'm probably talking shit, right? For sure. It's blatantly obvious. That's I compare that to the people that say that there's microchips in the vaccine and it fucking connects up to Wi-Fi and all the rest of it. The same level, right? Where it's just ridiculous. You know it's bullshit. But then there's other arguments where you have to listen to it and it's not so obvious. And But they're the people that are getting shut down. Well, and this group. is what annoys me so much about the labels of misinformation, disinformation, and the new one, malinformation, uh, is that the most harmful misinformation has always been official. It's always mm -hmm. been from the government. Uh, some of us remember and know about the Gulf of Tonkin incident that took the world to war in Vietnam. Some of us remember the weapons of mass destruction that were never found in Iraq. Mm. Some of us remember the global financial crisis, which was the product of systemic criminality within the financial sector in America. Mm. The Y2K bug. The last 20 years, the new millennium has been defined by fear, fraud and farce. And this idea that, you know, Instagrammers or podcasters like yourself are the problem when it comes to spreading misinformation, it's not. It's the mainstream media mm. and the government. And, you know, does anyone remember when Joe Rogan was the target of everyone's hatred because he was spreading that misinformation about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? And exactly right. No exactly one was right. able to account for that. And why, is why do people seek to hold comedians and podcasters to a standard of accountability they don't seek from their own politicians. Yeah. It mystifies me. Mate, that's spot on. And that's the problem where I have people on who are knowledgeable in whatever conversation I'm going to have. Because I'm not fucking overly intelligent. I can hold conversations with intelligent people. I don't know what they're talking about. But in terms of the people that I speak to and the people that I've got coming on uh, in the future, I'm fucking stupid next to them, right? And I openly admit that, no worries. But that's not my job. My job is not to create scenarios and theories and then push it onto people. I'll look at my job as just having that conversation, letting them speak, and then getting there. That's what I'll share with the people from a from an educated person in regards to whatever topic that we're discussing. Um, but that's the problem that we have, where there's no accountability for the media, for the government, and the lies, like the blatant lies. And it makes me question, I think we have a um, false idea. Look, if you look at North Korea, China, Russia, I'll use those three countries as an example. Compare them to uh, the US, the UK, and Australia. 
are they that much different? Are they that much different? That's the question. They're all totalitarian countries, but what defines, I guess, Australia and America is what uh, a political theorist called Sheldon Wolven termed inverted totalitarianism. So in your traditional totalitarian state like Germany in the 30s and 40s, you had the state dictating to the economic actors. So it's like, okay, Porsche, well, we need some tanks. Hugo Boss, we need some uniforms. And that was the way the economy was organised. In an inverted totalitarian state like we have, it's the economic actors dictating to the state because they've captured the state. And this Scott Ludlam's just written a book about this. Uh, but this is a phenomenon that's been written about for a long time, this idea of a corporatocracy and the fact that all of our institutions have been hijacked and captured by the vested interests who run this country. So that's what we're faced with at the moment is do we reclaim our institutions uh, how that looks, I, I don't know exactly, but we're going to find out over the next uh, few months. I think this federal election is going to be the most interesting in a long, long time. Mm. And I think it'll be reflective of, I guess, the rifts that have been created in our society in the last two years, particularly 12 months. Yeah. It'll be very interesting in the election. And I don't know, it's it's confusing time because I'm not sure that, I don't know who I want running the country, to be honest. I have no fucking idea. Um, I don't know. I, I see some people that are strong in some parts and then others who, you know, like I have no doubt that Clive Palmer, Craig Kelly, Craig Kelly were the first thing he'll do is end the mandates. But then what? But they're also in bed with some of the darker forces of, I guess, the Australian power base. And this is what annoys me is the rank opportunism of people like Craig Kelly and Clive Palmer. Mm. Uh, I think they're disingenuous with their motives. They're not pure. Uh, I'd like to be proven wrong, but it's been really heartening to see some of the, the Lib Democrats out of Victoria, David Limbrick and, and men of, and women of that ilk, I think they've been really inspiring I think what took place in Melbourne last year was uh, something that would be written about extensively by historians in the coming years. Um, it's been a fundamental alteration in the relationship between citizen and state without so much as a vote. And it's caused enormous hostility towards uh, the media, the government, people who seem to adopt an authoritarian worldview and want to remove choice from the debate uh been quite spectacular to witness really i worked yeah. for, for a while there i was just like, i feel like i was living in a dream and i was hoping yeah. to wake up and go oh it was all a dream but uh that's the thing about our reality nightmares go hand in hand with living your dreams as the great vaccine poet exhibit said many many years ago it's yeah it's 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 it is like a dream but it's never fucking ending and it's like well and it's become, it's already normalized. I don't care what people say, it's already normalized. I went to pick my, my kids up from school this afternoon. First, obviously, I spoke to you prior to that. Um, first day they've been back at school because of the fucking rain, right? And, you know, back when I was in school, they'd make you swim to class before they'd cancel school. And it's not that the school wasn't flooded, the school's fine. So, you know, it's things like that that are now different. And 
even going to the school today where, you know, normally you can just walk in. We still can't walk into the school. We're not allowed. No parent is allowed in the school. It's like, well, why? Why? Give me a reason. Oh, and this is including after the Premier uh, lifted the, the strict rules around the public schools. Um, they still won't let us in there. And it's like, well, at what point do you start questioning and say, well, listen, it's logical at this point. Like, it's even if we, we, we want to do it and, you know, maybe we're told to do it, you've still got to question uh, what you get told to do, whether it's from a government, from a police, from no matter who it is from, you've got to question it. And it's accepted where most parents don't even question it. They just sit outside, have their fucking mother's meeting and a chat and a laugh and don't even wait for the kids to come out and they go. Like, you realise that you're locked out of your kid's school for nothing at this point, for nothing. Like, you don't have to wear masks, nothing. Like, it's, it's New South Wales is pretty good. Really pertinent question. It's one I've been asking people I know and even asked the police uh, one day down at a rally, is what level of discrimination and dysfunction are you willing to accept for people like us before you draw a line in the sand? Is there a moment where you go, no, this is ridiculous and I can't go along with this? Yeah. And I'd like to know how many people have had that in a monologue and, or, and conversation with themselves. A lot of police um, have. So um, my, my uncle's a police officer in New South Wales and I've had many conversations. I know a few of his friends and um, they work in the police force. And um, I can tell you now that a lot of them aren't happy about it. Uh, but they're trapped, just like we're all trapped right in a system where we have to fucking work. Others can't pay our bills, so they've got to do it. Um, and others have just taken long service leave because um, I don't want to have any part of it. I had a guy message me uh, this morning. He wants to jump on the show. He's a police, funny enough, from your way, um, over in WA, he's a cop. Um, he yep. quit. Um, and he wanted to jump on and have a chat about the, the type of policing at the moment and what it's like and what's going on and... That'd be very interesting. I'd love to catch up with him. Slide into my DMs, Sergeant. We can have a yarn <laughs> in the west. Yeah, me. And so, you know, that's the credit to him because it takes some big uh, big balls, mate, to want to speak up about that. If just only very recently left the police force because he got sick of it. Um, so it's definitely happening, but it's not happening. We're trapped. The cost of living is so ridiculous that people can't afford. And we've seen this with COVID. When people's businesses were getting closed down, people were fucked within two weeks. Like you should not be working for 20 or 30 years, running a business, mm. successful business. Habit evaporate in two weeks. And that was the case with a lot of people. They could not maintain it. Um, and they were doing things like trying to change their business up and do mobile service, whatever it was, they're trying to, they're trying to work out to adapt to the times. But it's, that's one thing that really amazed me as to how dependent we are. Um, and how quickly we become dependent and we're like, shit, we really need to get back to work. It's two or three weeks. Um, they're struggling. So, you know, it's the system we're in makes it very difficult to do much because you can only speak up about it so much and before it starts hurting you uh, financially. Um, and that's where, you know, I feel like if we were in a, a different country where the cost of living is so ridiculously high and especially one of those Scandinavian countries where they seem to be quite comfortable there, uh, from what I've heard, maybe they could hold off longer, but it's just the US, Australia, Canada, it's surprising at how dependent we are. It's really surprised me. 
Yeah, and the, I thought what was really interesting was in Topher's documentary, Battlefield Melbourne, there's that really telling scene where... How, how good was that? That was a fucking great... That was so good. That was an incredible documentary, that. Yeah, look, uh, it did a good job of it for a first crack, but there was that one scene where there's an exchange between a protester and a heavily militarised police officer where he says, I don't want to fucking be here either, mate, but I've got no other skills. Yeah. It really just summed up the whole thing for me is that, you know, you'll pay 30% of the population to subdue the other 70. No one's happy about it. But at the point where the 30% stop enforcing the law, oh, that's very bright. And this has a lot of parallels with the First World War. I mean, in the First World War, we had the conscription referendum. The government was trying to conscript you into the army to go and fight for king and country on the Western Front. It was viciously opposed, particularly by the Irish and the trade unions, and the country was paralysed by waves of strikes. It was very divided. The government was cooking the books on the numbers about the amount of dead on the Western Front so as not to minimise public support for the war. There's a lot of parallels between that time and this time. That's a very good point. Hopefully, we don't have uh, the same sort of carnage. But the returning soldiers, the government was afraid, to use Lenin's phrase, they would turn their guns upon their rulers. And the history of this country in that period is fascinating because of the conflict. I mean, the reunion held the Fremantle port for six months Mm. in Western Australia. The Premier and the entire police force came down and tried to take it. So hang on, these guys have just been fighting Germans on the Western Front and they're left with their tail between their legs. So I've always been afraid that this situation could turn violent and that the social fabric would decay to that point. But I think the first casualty of the Ukrainian war has been the momentum of the COVID narrative. People have tuned out. I think the Vax passports uh, are going to fall away very soon. Tassie's got rid of it. Mm. It's been struck down by the New Zealand High Court. It's only a matter of time. Western Australia is three hours behind currently, uh, but in actual fact, probably about three months the rest of the country. It's, you know what? It, it's, it is crumbling. We've had South Australia now um, have allowed the police to return back to work uh, down there, which is positive. It's a good thing. But, you know, you always have to understand that why... The Ukrainian war, why is so much an is there an emphasis on it in terms of it has very minimal impact on us here economically? Um, it, it doesn't I really agree with that. Have you seen the price of fuel this week, mate? Uh, it's been like that for a while now, though. Yeah, I don't know well, what it's I mean... like over there, but here it's been pretty consistently shit for the past six months, it's been high around two dollars, dollar eighty, two bucks. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Taking Russian oil and gas off the market only exacerbates that problem. And do you know who benefits from it? Countries like Saudi Arabia, who Mm. are engaged in a brutal war in Yemen, who behead people for doing the wrong thing. Uh, And I hate the way this uh, Russia-Ukraine thing is presented as so simplistic as Putin bad, Ukraine good. The reality is so much more complex than that. And these simplistic depictions of it do nobody any favours. And the way the West is 
scrubbing the internet from all the unfavorable things they said about Vladimir over the years is uh, very amusing. I highly recommend watching the Putin Diaries by Oliver Stone for anyone listening who wants to get a grasp of what uh, Vladimir is thinking because to understand Russia and their actions is not to condone them. Mm. I think this is the thing we all need to remember in every uh, approach to an argument or issue is it's better to seek understanding than appropriate blame. Obviously, war, there has another dimension to that. But to understand something is not to approve of it. Yeah, and that, that's, got, that's, that's that line that people just can't see. They just think, oh, if you speak, if you say anything positive or uh, if you even understand any part of this war, then not that you're this, 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 and that. And that's not the case. And from the little that I do know about it, um, I would suspect that if the same thing was occurring in Mexico, the US would act. Well, the last time that happened, the world was on the precipice of nuclear war with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, And and the Americans are hypocrites. I have to remember that, you know, uh, there are no good guys left in the world. The Chinese terrify me. The Americans are insane. The Russians, journalists. About Western journalists going, well, Putin, you know, he's authorised the execution of journalists. Hey, where is Julian Assange right now? Yeah. Everyone's forgotten about Julian. And when Julian Assange rolls up for WA, I'll consider it. But until then, take your jab and fuck off. Yeah. You know what? He, these, but the, there's a lack of um, integrity that's um, around the world is consistent with journalism these days. And they're almost, they're not telling the news. They're telling, look, we, we only know what we're allowed to know. People don't understand that. We have the ability to pick it up from other sources and other independent medias around the world. But large, what we know largely is due to because of the fact that they want us to know that. They want us to, they want this Ukraine situation to be big. They want it to be a huge thing. Because I can tell you that in 2021, the US um, authorized over 800 airstrikes last year alone. Um, did you hear about one of them? Probably not. People don't hear nah. about them. And that well, was and actually it, down. That was down from the year before in 2020. It was in the thousands of airstrikes. But you don't hear about it. It's like when I was trying to tell me that they didn't kill a single innocent person. With, of course they fucking did. But you didn't 100%. hear a word about it. 100%. When I was at uni uh, doing a unit called Power of the Media and Public Interest, there's a great uh, book called Manufacturing Consent. Uh, and in the First World War, America had an isolationist foreign policy. They didn't want to get involved in European conflicts. And what was done was this thing called the Creel Commission was put together. It was two guys, Walter Lippmann and Edward Bernays. And Edward Bernays happened to be the nephew of the psychiatrist Sigmund Freud. And what they did was is they were able to turn a pacifist American public who was anti-war into pro-war within six months and they got America involved in the war and afterwards they got together and said well well, hey if we can use these psychological techniques to sell people war we can use it to sell products and the century of the self the documentary uh, traces that history of 
the development of PR, which used to be propaganda, but they changed the name of propaganda to public relations because it had a bad name after the Second World War. But these techniques are still in play in modern marketing and selling you everything from politicians to toothpaste. Uh, And it's quite illuminating to see how easy the people are to influence in groups. Group psychology is a fascinating thing and uh, it's something I'm very interested in, especially after the last 12 months. Yeah, it surprised me. It's really surprised me how easily people are led, how easily people are driven to a a state of fear, even though at times you have to suspect that these people know the data. They know that they probably shouldn't be afraid, but yet they get caught up in it. And when I see these professors and these doctors online and they're, they're, they're spreading that fear, I'm like, how do you know what, you know that, you know the data, you're aware of what the risks are. Why are you taking part in this? Like, are you, what's the story there? Um, but, it's incredible the power of the media the power of fear propaganda which has been for the last two years it's astounding to see the way that we've all fallen into line with it but hopefully things are changing i can say it's changing now with the covid situation the vaccine situation the narrative's shifting it's changing it's crumbling uh which is great to see longer yeah. than i liked but it's happening anyway well, and I'm with you. I mean, I guess I've been waiting for this for a long time, but to see the breakdown of um, the traditional model of trust in the media and that red pill moment where people go, oh, everything you see and read in the mainstream press is not true or designed to distract or deflect or minimise hmm. or, or some way of mi- misdirecting your attention. Uh, I think COVID has accelerated that enormously. Uh, and I think that's been one of the great silver linings and people I know who've never been political in their lives uh, now are into politics and are engaged and are civically aware. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, we've been lazy in this country for too many years because we had it too good for too long. Mm. We never had to really struggle. That generation who did uh, are gone from us largely and we haven't retained many of the lessons that they, I guess, taught us, particularly after the Great Depression. So I think it's good that Australians are starting to, I guess, wake up and become a bit more mature in their outlook. Um, But it is difficult also uh, accepting the fact that everything you come to believe in your life is largely a lie. Uh, It's like giving someone ecstasy for the first time, right? You're not going to give them a huge dose. You're going to blow their head off. You're going to... Yeah, have a little bit first and then see if you like it, you know, and mm. then if you want to keep going, you can. I'm not endorsing drug use in <laughs> any way. Um, it's just an analogy, but it is quite confronting and it's, it's almost like the grieving process. You go through the stages of denial, anger, bargaining, and then finally acceptance. Um, it, as James Baldwin says, it comes as a great shock to find that the cadre you pledged allegiance to has not pledged allegiance to you. Mm. Yeah, no, that's right. It's, it's, it is tough to, and myself included, man, like I've had to rethink a lot about the way I thought things worked and, and different things. And that, look, we're all the same. Like we all get brought up the same way and our parents largely all watch mainstream media. 
I think our generation now is probably the first one to really switch off from that and to get our I news know, from man. other my sources. My dad's been pretty radicalized by YouTube. You want to hear my dad talk <laughs> about hyperinflation and cryptos, mate? It's uh, yeah. Well, I, that's I think good, it, man. That's good. It's not a bad thing. I mean, you know it's what? Liberating. It's liberating. And I asked my dad, "Would you rather live with the anxiety of knowing the truth, or the comfort of living in blissful ignorance?" And he said, "I choose to live knowing the truth every day of the week. It's liberating. It's exciting." Uh, and he said that I feel like I've got a front row seat in history. And I think that's really true. I mean, we're living Spot through on. right now. And uh, as my favorite rapper, Lowkey, says, I'm inspired to be alive in this powerful moment. Yeah. Now, this is a very powerful moment. And it'll be something that we spoke about for many, many years. And you know what? There's going to be good guys and bad guys, just like with every. Um, every story in the history book, there's always the good guys, the bad guys. And, you know, some of them will get away with it. You know, talking about getting away with it. I haven't seen Fauci in a minute. I don't know what he's doing, but um, he seemed to have disappeared off the face of the earth in the last three months. But um, he'll be one of the ones looked upon um, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. And in my opinion, that's justified. But, you know, it's better to be on the right side of the wrong side of history, mate. That's the main thing. I agree with you. And I think one of the more interesting questions going forward is this narrative crumbles as more data and information comes to hand is the viability of the entire political and media establishment that's allowed this to happen and allowed this to really wreak havoc on our society and set us back years. It's been really a ginormous hysterical overreaction and i hope that uh some people are held to account for how reckless they were and drunk on power they were yeah and in some cases still are yeah i mean i feel sorry for the people that as i've said many times that there's people that are involved in this ministers um health professionals the government rely on who probably know something's not right, who are well aware, but what do they do? Well, this is why the health advice is not being released because there's conflict about the health advice. Yeah. There's a panel of people there and they're not all in agreement about it. That's one of the reasons I think the health advice is not being released. So, yeah, like I say, the freedom of information requests and... Uh, the new information that comes to hand, I think is going to have a lot of people running to get some rags to wipe egg off their face. Mm. But I'm a big believer in forgiveness. and uh, But part of forgiveness, I think, entails people being sincere in their apologies and having an uh, honest assessment of their own behaviour and self-reflecting. And, you know, there's a possibility I might be wrong. And... If there is, I won't uh, eat the humble pie. I'll deep throat the humble pie. <laughs> but I expect the same for people on the other side of this argument who've been so vicious towards people like myself and you. Man, and that, that's the most important skill that you can have is self-awareness and accountability. So if you fuck up and you say the wrong thing out of anger, which I've done and apologize for that, if you share something or say something without knowing the entire story, which I did recently, 
on um, I put the photo up of the um, army having a photo shoot, military and a photo shoot, and it was brought to my attention by other people, including a veterans group, that um, yes, well, that photo was in fact real, but there's a lot more to the story, and they sent me other photos. Um, and as a result of that, I removed the post and apologised. Be very careful of the veterans community in this country, mate. They're a well-organised social media machine. They yeah. do have some hilarious memes too. Oh, man, you know what, though? I, I'm, I like that. I like being corrected. What I don't like is being told I'm wrong and that's it. No, you're wrong. Mm. Fucking how am I wrong? Are you going to show me it's that I'm wrong? Pointed out, right? Like uh, yeah. someone said an error only becomes a mistake if you refuse to correct it. That's right. But more so, if you're going to say that people are wrong, then at least bring something to the table and say, this is why you're wrong right here. And anyone that you know, has any moral compass, if they're wrong, will acknowledge it at that time and say, you know what, fuck, I was wrong. Might have been wrong in what I said. Um, and I'll take actions to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I'm very open and honest about that. If I fuck up, I'm very quick to admit that. Um, and mate, like I haven't been wrong about much, but... I have been wrong and I'll be wrong again. You'll be wrong again. It happens. But it's important that instead of digging your boots in and just fighting a fight, just say, listen, all right. No one, I don't think people think bad. If you, if you are open and you say, listen, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. I don't think people think, no, well, too bad. You so most people will go, yep, yeah, that, that's, it's looked upon favorably. Well, like I said earlier, I think it shows a depth of character and security in your own uh, identity. And, you know, we're all fallible. We all get it wrong sometimes. But what defines people is how they deal with those situations. And I think it shows an enormous depth of character to be able to admit wrongdoing, own it and move on. And it generates respect for people who do that in my eyes. And uh, I differ from Napoleon in that regard. Napoleon's view was never admit a mistake. And I'd been accused of having a Napoleon complex many times as a short man that I am. But I do believe in admitting when you are wrong because I think it's the way to grow and uh, people will respect you more and it shows the depth of character. It does, but not only that, you don't want to mislead people. And, you know, when you've got a platform... Um, you know, you need to be very mindful of that. But I don't want 30,000 or how can I remember, um, thinking that I'm right and running with that, even though I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong, but now they're the ones that look stupid because they're still running yeah. with it. So well, it's I mean, you're in your, I guess, stock in trade is integrity and authenticity. And this is the problem we have with the modern media is that information is the currency of democracy. And what we are living in is a currency crisis because the currency that we've relied on to facilitate democracy has been debased. It's no good. Uh, and this is why I think, you know, podcasts and stuff are almost the crypto revolution of the media world. Uh, whether or not that solves the problem, I, I don't know, but... Um, the internet's up there with the invention of the printing press in terms of its effect on society and, you know. Oh, it definitely works. It works. I've had people who don't follow me, but I've just stumbled across it on Spotify or Apple. 
um, and they've said, thank you for the episode. I listened to this one and I learned this, this, this. I didn't know that before. Um, and, you know, I'll listen to less of what I hear from the, the TV. So it definitely works in a sense where people are going, oh, shit, okay, there's another side to this story. Okay, what's this side saying? Oh, that makes more sense than the other side. And that's what, it will change. It will change and that will keep happening. Um, obviously, I don't have Joe Rogan level influence and numbers, but, um, you know, I think just one person, just helping one person sort of have a, a different view on a particular subject is very important. And it will slowly rot away the media. It has to. They, they have to change dramatically. If they don't change, they're going to be, be finished. They can't continue this pattern and think that they've got any few. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I guess the disruption era of technology and, you know, it's like what Uber's done to the taxi industry. Mm. Yeah, Taxis right. had a for so long they didn't need to innovate and it got stale and boring and wasn't giving the consumers what they wanted. Yeah. And I see podcasting in the same sort of, mold as uh, taking the sword to an established power structure and making them hemorrhage money and building something new yeah and may that'll be good for everyone that'll be good for all of us collectively but anyway listen i want to get going it's um no worries mate been a good chat uh Absolutely. thank you so much for having me mate um yeah and if anyone who wants to watch uh that sbs episode it's on demand called insight bad joke um, I don't know when I'll be touring again because uh, I'm holding out until the vaccine mandates go, but I'll uh, be doing some improvised stand-up and a bit of writing, mate. So, Mate, put the work in now on, on the pen and freshen up the material, get some new material and hit the road. Hopefully it's not too much longer for you because I imagine it's been very tough. Not being able to hit it's like the road losing a limb, mate. It's like losing a limb. But anyway, uh, what no one can say about me, Chris, is that I don't have the courage of my convictions. And uh, I'm a man of principle, so they've cost me a lot of fucking money over the years. My principles, let me tell you, mate. So, oh, mate, I know the, be the best principles do, mate. Yeah, well, I'm rich with the things money can't buy, my friend, as you are. So, thanks so much. Take care and uh, all the best. And I look forward to seeing how the next three months plays out and uh, how we assess it, mate, and move forward. Pleasure, Corey. Thank you very much. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, mate.